you, Jessica. Well, I guess I don't have to dismiss the kids because you already did it. <laughs> well, let's just lift up our hands. Father, we just thank you for this time where we can gather in your name and that we can worship because we choose to. And we thank you, Lord, that when we set our hearts on you, we come boldly into your throne room where we receive the help that we need in this time. We thank you that the throne of God is a throne of grace. It's a, it's a throne of provision. It's a throne of safety. It's a throne of direction. Oh, God, we just thank you that when we find you, we find all good things. And just as your word said that he who did not spare his only son, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? And so just as your word for peace, Lord, it is shalom, and it means nothing missing, nothing broken. We thank you, Lord, right now we receive of your peace, and we declare over our lives that there is nothing missing and there is nothing broken. There is healing that flows into our lives that mends the deepest wounds and the deepest hearts. There is a provision that flows to us that there is nothing missing in our lives. And so, Father, we thank you that we can grab hold of that by faith today. We thank you for your peace your peace which passes understanding, that it guards our hearts and our minds. Why? Because it's not, it's not tumultuous, it's not, a, it's not a, a chaos that the world offers. No, it's what you offer is a sweet peace that only comes from heaven, where there is no tears, there is no sorrow, there is joy forevermore. And so, Father, we choose to partake of your heavenly things today. We choose per to partake of your wisdom. We ask for it right now in the name of Jesus. And we know that your word says that when you ask for wisdom, we receive liberally. And so I thank you, Lord, that there's no more than enough wisdom right now for our direction. Hallelujah, in the name of Jesus. There's more than enough wisdom flowing right now to understand what you have written in your word for us today. And so, Father, we glorify you and we give you first place in our lives and we thank you for it in Jesus name amen and amen wow there's just so many things we could step off to right there and just begin to pray but there's some uh, things we want to preach today once I get my mic figured out here it's wanting to pop off my ear there we go well whoo it's September 3rd <laughs> which means we're, we're in the last long weekend of summer Come on, last long weekend of summer, the kids are going back to school on Tuesday, which means we're going to be entering into the fall season, and I, some people are like, no, I want summer to last forever. No, I like fall. I like the warm days and the cool nights where you have to put a sweater on. It's a great weather for having campfires and all those things. The bugs have basically died off for the year at that point. Man, I love fall. I love fall, and so I'm excited that it's come, it's, uh, that's what we're stepping into, but before that can happen, what we've been focusing on for the month of August is our word for the year that God gave us, and that is continue. The word continue. And as I said when we started this, I believe it was on the, on the first week of August that we started this series. And uh, there's just been so much. My, my month of August has been busy, as I'm sure yours, yours is, you know, as things get going in the summer. But the, the word continue that God gave us at the end of last year is uh, I, I often was like, okay, God, what, when are we going to preach this? You know, in January, in February, April, March. I was like, when are we going to talk about this? And as we were ending the, getting the mid-July, I believe it was, the Holy Spirit just spoke to my heart. It's now time to speak on this word. Why? Because you don't need to be encouraged to continue at the start. 
And you don't need to be encouraged to continue at the end, you're done. You need to be encouraged to continue in the middle when you want to give up. And I told the story in the first week, and I think it's important to tell it again. I remember when my sister was running marathons, uh, this is probably like 20 years ago now, and she was running the Ottawa Marathon, and I believe that one was her first that she had done. And so we spread ourselves out across the the race course, you know, at different portions, because, you know, 26 miles is a long, long ways. And so I think Christopher and I were about mile 20, 21, somewhere around there. We were the last, last group before she would hit the last section and as she was she was coming up to us she was just like crying like I don't want to go on I want to stop and it's like no that's we're there to say keep on going you've already ran 20 miles why stop now and I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking that to a lot of hearts not just in our church but across the body of Christ you've come this far why would you want to stop now why would you want want to put up with something inferior than the great gifts that I've given unto you. The things that I have called you to, they are good things. They are filled with goodness and graciousness and love and mercy and peace. Why would you want to put up with anything else but God's best? As Paul said, I press on towards the high calling of Jesus Christ, which means if there's a high calling that you can attain, that means there's also a low calling that you can settle for. And I don't feel like settling in these days. We're reaching the, towards the end days when Jesus is going to return. Now is not a time to stop. Now's not a time to put up with less. No, go ahead and dig in and believe for the best in these days. Believe for the gifts of the Spirit. Spirit flowing in your life. Believe to see his abundance in this land while others are speaking scarcity and economy downturn. And they said that this, this week they announced that the economy in Canada has contracted this much. I don't care what it does, not me. I'm going to live in abundance. I've been doing it now for years and years. Why would I stop now? I'm not going to put up with what they have to say. My God speaks a better word continue partaking of his provision and if you haven't learned how to partake that way get in and find out what the word of God actually says about how he has blessed you with all things that pertain to life and godliness he didn't say just godliness oh when we get to heaven oh sweet by and by it'll be great no he said he's made a provision for you right here in the life in which you live David said, I've been young and I've been old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken or begging for bread. Let's not start now. Amen? Let's not settle for less. When the enemy comes to attack your business, comes to attack your body, say, no, I'm going to continue in the mercy and the grace of God. I'm going to stand in the provision of healing that he's given for me. I'm going to stand in the provision of wisdom that he's given to me. Come on. And so the word for this church and for you is the word to continue in what God has called you to and has left for you and what he's spoken about you in his word. This is the season to continue. And so last week we were uh, in Colossians chapter 1 looking at one of Paul's lesser known prayers. We spend a lot of time talking about Ephesians chapter 1 and Ephesians chapter 3 in the prayers that he prayed for the Ephesians, but he also prayed prayers for the Philippians and he prayed prayers for the Colossians. And those were prayers that are important to us because we are part of the church. And Paul was praying for the church. 
it's something interesting. This struck me a while ago, is that the way Paul prayed in the New Testament often looks nothing like how we pray for ourselves. You should look at how he prayed and the bold statements he make. How come most Christians' prayers sound so pathetic? Come on, let's just make some strong statements. Come on. So many people that God, if you could please, you know, uh, I, I know these times are hard. You know, just I need just a little bit. No, Paul didn't believe for a little bit. He said God will do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you could ask or think. That was part of Ephesians chapter 1 prayer. Come on, Paul prayed bold prayers before God. And when you pray bold prayers of faith, you receive bold things from God. Hallelujah. And so in Colossians, Paul was praying for the church at Colossae. And he said, I do not cease to pray for you, or I continue to pray. Come on, sometimes when you prayed once, you're like, oh, well, I prayed once and it didn't, didn't happen like I thought it would. Pray again. Paul said, I do not cease to pray for you, that you would be filled with all the wisdom of God and all spiritual understanding. And he said that you would walk worthy of the calling that you've been called to. He says, being fruitful in every good work, not just in some good works, he said, in every good works, and increasing in the knowledge of God. If you know what you know now is the same thing you know 20 years from now, you've done something wrong. And if what you know right now is what you knew 20 years ago, you've been doing something wrong, and we can change that. The, the Word of God is progressive revelation. You can read the Word every day for the next a million years, and He will still bring new enlightenment, new inspiration. Sometimes I get to verses that I've read every day for years and years, and I go and I'm like, wow, that's awesome. And He brings to new light, and He brings new excitement. The only time the Word gets dull is when we allow it to get dull. This word is alive. The Bible says that it's quick and sharp and powerful. It's able to divide between what are our thoughts and what are his thoughts. And sometimes our thoughts get the preeminence. And we've spent much time on our thoughts, and he says, no, 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 no. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts, and my ways are greater than your ways. And so we have to take a step away from our thoughts and let the word divide what is truth and what are just your worldly stinking thoughts. I remember one minister said the biggest thing we got to get over is getting rid of our stinking thinking. Come on, think like the Word. Think like Jesus thinks, because those are the thoughts he told you to grab onto. And so Paul prays these great things. He says that you would be strengthened with might and power. He says that you would be a partaker of the inheritance in the saints of light. Some of us get excited when we say, oh God, thank you that, that you've given me all things that pertain to life and godliness. He didn't say get excited about it. He said be a partaker of it. Come on. If God's deposited things into the bank account of your life, you better be making some withdrawals and not just celebrating what the statement says. Come on. Don't just celebrate what's there. He said, be a partaker of the inheritance in the saints and the like. Come on, this is Colossians chapter 1. You can go back and read it. We read it last week. He wants you to be a partaker of the inheritance in the saints and the light. He, and then he reminds me, he says that you've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of his son, the son of his love, in whom there, there's, you've received forgiveness of sins through the blood of Jesus. And so Paul prays these great things, 
And then he gets down to the end of his prayer and he says this in verse 23, which is where we left off last week. He says this in Colossians 1.23, If indeed you continue. All of those things, those great things that he prayed have an if there. An if is a conditional statement and the one who's in control of the condition is you, not him. And so many things we like to throw back in God's hands. Well, if God wanted that, then it would just be, and he has filled the New Testament with all these statements of, if you believe, if you continue, if you, where's your want to? What do you want? And so he says, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast, and are not moved away, that's a good word, moved away because the enemy is going to want to push you and move you away from those things which God has called you to and he says that if you're grounded and steadfast and are not allowed don't allow yourself to be moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard the ex- the hope means expectation of good things to come the gospel means good news He says, don't be moved away from your expectation of receiving those good things from that good news. He says, if you continue in faith, and that's a really important statement, because God is not moved by your need. Lots of people have need. He's not moved by your need. He's moved by your faith. I like what Smith Wigglesworth said. It seems like God will move past a million different people just to get one person standing in faith. He's not moved by your need. He he knows you have need. The Bible says he knows what you have need of before you even ask. And so need isn't the condition that moves God's hand. Asking in faith is. He goes on in that same chapter and says, ask and you shall receive that your joy might be full. And so he knows you have need, but that doesn't move the hand of God. Faith does. You know, Jesus made this statement, I believe it was, uh, I want to say it's Luke chapter 4. He said, were there not many widows in the land, but the prophet Elijah was only sent to one? Why was he sent to that one? Because she was willing to stand in faith. And when we look at that story, Elijah arrives on the scene and he finds the widow right where God said she would be, but probably not in the, st- in the state that he was thinking. He, he had been providing for three years for Elijah with birds coming and dropping meat and a brook for him to drink from. While everyone else was living in a famine, God was providing for Elijah. And eventually the brook dried up. And so Elijah went back to God and was like, what's going on? And God says, it's okay. I've commanded a widow in this certain town to provide for you. So you would think when he got there, he would find himself a rich widow in a position to provide for him. That was not how it was at all. He shows up and he finds the widow right where God said she would. And he says to her, I'm hungry, make me something to eat. And she said, well, I've only got this little bit of grain and a little bit of oil, and I'm about to make a cake for myself and my son, and then we're going to go and die. And I'm sure Elijah's saying, do we got the right village here, God? 
I surely you sent me to the wrong address. Because we look at with our natural eyes at God's provision. How are you going to do this? Well, God, you're going to do it this way. And he's saying, no, 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 no. It's not going to look like what you think. You're going to have to stand in faith. And you will see the goodness of God right here in the land of the living. And so he says to the widow, he says, okay, that's fine. You can make your, your little cake and you guys can go and die. But first, make a cake for me. And she did, just as he had said. And man, God just continued to provide and to provide and to provide. And what was a moment of death and letting go, God was able to use faith to cause her to continue and allow Elijah to continue in what God had called him to. And so here Paul's praying and he says, if indeed you continue in the faith, not continue in the complaint, not continue in the worry, not continue in the anxiety, but continue in faith. And what have we said about faith this year? Faith takes God at his word. Faith is birthed in a heart that responds to the authoritative word of God. So if God said it's one way, it doesn't matter what you feel about it or what you think about it. Change your feelings and change your thoughts and align them with God and continue in faith. That's what allows someone to live in that strength that Paul prayed about. That's what allows someone to be a partaker of the inheritance. That's the one that is able to be a fruitful in every good work instead of just the occasional good work or no good work. Come on. Yeah. It says, if indeed you continue. Now, why would God be stirring up a message of continuance? And I don't believe it's just here in this church. I believe it's across the body of Christ these days. He's stirring hearts back to action and back into faith to say, continue. You saw it before. Do it again. Yeah. Believe again. Keep going. Keep going. Why would he be stirring a message of continuance? Well, what has the Lord said about the end times? Paul says this to Timothy, he says, now the Spirit expressly says, so this is not Paul speaking, this is what he was feeling in his heart. He says, the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith. And so if Paul in Colossians is saying, continue in the faith, the reason why he was saying it is because he was preparing for a time when people were going to depart from the faith. And we are living in that time. It's amazing to me, the people that I just know personally. I was talking with a friend of mine just a few weeks ago, and I was like, oh, what, what, have you heard from so-and-so? And he's like, he, he, he left. He left God. And he's now a heroin addict. I was like, seriously? I would have never thought that. He departed from the faith. He let go of the things that God had called him to. And it says they were giving heed to deceiving spirits. The enemy will twist your thoughts. He'll pollute them. He'll put, insert his thoughts in so that it begins to deceive you and you begin to buy into a lie. Rather, what if faith buys into the truth, he caused them to buy into the lie of what he said. And he said giving into doctrines of demons. And so Paul on one hand is saying continue because he feels in his heart there are those who are not going to. Jesus himself said it when preaching on the end times in Matthew 24. 
verse 10, he said, and then many will be offended and repelled and begin to distrust and desert him whom they ought to trust and obey and will stumble and fall away and betray one another and pursue one another with hatred. And so he's saying here, Jesus says, not only will they become offended and they'll walk away, they'll begin to turn and back and attack those who used to be their brothers and sisters in Christ. And so if Jesus said it, we know it's going to happen, but it does, you don't have to be a part of it. You can be admonished by the Spirit of God to continue in the things that he's called you to. And so this message of continuance for 2023 has been founded on what we see the early church If you want to see a good model of what to do, look at the early church. It says in Acts 2.42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in breaking of bread, and in prayers. They continued steadfastly. And what they saw as the apostles' doctrine, we now have as the word of God. They were listening to Peter preach, and we now have 1st and 2nd Peter. They were listening to John preach, we got 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. They went on to hear Paul, who wrote two-thirds of our New Testament. The doctrine that they're talking about, and that they were hearing, and that they were continuing in, is your word. And so if it says if the word said that's how you are continue in it and in fellowship and getting together and stirring one another up meeting together church is great church is not enough get together with believers and stir each other up you know be mindful of the conversations you have there's time for regular conversation but if you see someone who's starting to get down who's starting to get a little bit weighted of the things of the word stir them up build them up and call them to continue on in breaking of bread, and we talked about that's the communion table and just getting together for meals. Don't forget about the blood and the body of Jesus Christ. Paul said to the Corinthians that there were many weak and sick among them because they weren't rightly discerning the body of Christ. Why? What does he mean by not discerning, rightly discerning the body of Christ? Jesus His body was broken for you. And it says, by his stripes, you were healed. Which means if you're thinking another way, you're not rightly discerning the body of Christ that was broken for you. If he was broken, you don't have to be broken. There's healing for you that he's provided through the body. And when we look at the blood of Jesus Christ, it was shed for you so that you can stand in the new covenant, which is a good covenant built on better promises than that of the old. And so if you see the miracles of the Old Testament, you stand in a better covenant. So why are we settling for less miracles? Don't celebrate David and Goliath. That's great. Go ahead and be a David and go slay some Goliaths. So they continued in the doctrine of the apostles in fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And it says, then fear came upon every soul. And that's not talking about, oh, they were afraid. No, that word for fear means to stand in awe and reverence. The body of Christ has lost their reverence for God. You know, we think about what we were singing this morning, saying, Jesus, you're the Lord of my life. 
I get to sing your praises now. I get to worship you now. And that can be just a song, I get to sing, praise you now. I get to worship you now. No, that's a song of, Lord, I lay everything of my life down at your feet. You're the king of my life. Come on, there needs to be a reverence that is stirred back up in the body of Christ because here it says that fear or reverence and awe came upon every soul and wonders and signs were done through the apostles. It's amazing what God is able to do in your life when you put him back in the place he deserves. When you honor him and esteem him for how great he is. It opens the door for signs and wonders and miracles to be done in your life. The lower you think of God, the less you will experience of Him in your life. That's why the Bible says, oh, magnify the Lord. What does magnify mean? We take a magnifying glass and it blows everything up in our perspective. Take the Lord and magnify him in your life. Think of him larger and bigger and more amazing than anything else. And as that awe and that wonder is restored to your life, you will begin to see signs and wonders and miracles amongst you. And so when they said they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers, that word continued steadfastly, we told you, means when you break it down into its roots, is the advantage of being steadfast. One who chooses to continue in what God has said and what God has called them to will have an advantage over those who won't. I don't have a problem with cheating. If God told me to do it, I'm going to go ahead and do it, right? Yes. Hallelujah. Now, in Luke chapter 9, we have a story here with Jesus. In Luke chapter 9, verse 57, it says, Now it happened, as they journeyed on the road, someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. <laughs> you know, that sounds like a great statement, but you notice it says, as they journeyed which means they're in the process. In a journey, there's a start and there's a finish. And in this point, they're in the middle. And what did we say we do in the middle? We continue. And so in the middle, this person says, oh Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says back to him, well, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now, this verse has been very much misrepresented of what Jesus was saying. They use this to say, oh, Jesus was poor. He had no house to live in. He was basically homeless living in the streets. No, he wasn't. It the Bible tells us he had a house in Capernaum on the Sea of Galilee. And you ever think about the story of the four crazy friends when they start ripping the roof off in the town of Capernaum so that they can lower their friend down to be healed? You notice no one says, hey, stop wrecking my roof they were in jesus's house because it says when he was at home the people came to him and so here in the in the town of capernaum he had a home and he didn't care that they were rub ripping the roof off they he said oh great faith because <laughs> faith moves the heart of god not your need 
And so he, said, he says back to this man, said, I'll follow you wherever you go. And he says, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. This is not a lie that Jesus has said, but at this point in his ministry, he's traveling from town to town. He doesn't know where he's going to stop at the end of the day. He's going to, oh, it's getting dark. We better, I guess we better stay here. Now think about this. When Jesus sent his disciples out, first the 12 two by two, and then the 72 by two, what did he say to them? He said, you guys don't even need to take money for your money belt. Whatever city you go into, there will be a place for you to stay. And if they won't receive you, shake the dust off your feet at them and move on to the next place. You notice when the disciples returned and the 70s returned, they didn't say, oh, we had a lot of cold nights sleeping out in the desert. That wasn't part of their testimony. You know what they did say? Even the demons are subject to us in your name. They were, they were so wrapped around the miracles of God's provision of whatever needed, that's what they celebrated. And so Jesus isn't saying, I'm too poor that I don't have a place to sleep. He's saying, guys, we're traveling. We don't know where we're going to be. And he goes on and it says, then he said to another, follow me. But the person said back, Lord, let me first go bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And you could say, oh, Jesus is pretty callous here. This man's father has died, and he wants to go bury him. And Jesus said, no, 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 don't worry about it. Let the dead worry about the dead. That's not actually what he's saying. If you look at the Greek here, his father's not dead. He's waiting for him. He's waiting to step out into the things of God until after other things have gotten out of the way. If you keep waiting for the perfect moment, you'll never have a moment to move. You seize the moment God calls you to, and here Jesus has just said to this man, follow me, and he found an excuse, and you will always find an excuse. You will always find an obstacle, but go ahead and step out anyways. And another also said, Lord, I'll follow you wherever, but let me first go and bid farewell to those who are at my house. So this guy, he's, his, is not, his excuse isn't even as good. For the first one, it's like, oh, it's all about my father. This guy's like, I've got, I've got visitors. <laughs> you know, I've got visitors at my house. So kick him out. Tell him to go home. And Jesus said, no one, this is where I wanted to get, no one having put his hand to the plow and then looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Now, we have to understand what Jesus is not saying. He's not talking about those who turn back are not going to be welcomed into heaven. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about experiencing the kingdom of God right here on this earth. Because what did Jesus say in his prayer? Lord, on earth as it is in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done right here. When Jesus talks about the kingdom of God and the operation of the kingdom of God, he's not talking about heaven, he's talking about you experiencing kingdom things here. And he said those who put their hand to the plow or start but then turn back will not experience the things of God like someone who chooses to continue. So that was week one in a nutshell. <laughs> in week number two, we talked about how not everything we do is meant to continue. Jesus, or the writer of Hebrews said this in Hebrews chapter 12. He said, let us lay aside every weight 
and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You notice there was two things he said. Obviously, sin is sin, and we should avoid it. But here, the writer of Hebrews says, also, the, get rid of the things that slow you down. It's much easier to run a ra race when you're not holding on to weights. You know, I don't know if you've done any weighted training or whatever, but when race day comes, you take off the weighted backpack. You take off the weighted ankle parts. You don't want things that will slow you down. He didn't call them sin. He just said they're not necessary for the journey. And this is what we see so much in the body of Christ, and I see it reflected in my life in different periods of my life, where it's easy to let things that are not the priority become the priority. Come on. And there's things that are good to do every once in a while that we shouldn't be doing all the time because they're a distraction. If you're trying to build your business, sitting on Netflix every night is probably not a good priority, right? If you're trying to get in shape, skipping the gym is probably not a good priority. Now, whether you go to the gym or whether you don't go to the gym, I don't know what the priorities of your life is. What I'm saying is it's easy for, let us, for us to take things that really aren't that important and make them the main thing. No, keep the main things the main things and let the minor things be the minor things. Amen? And so here the writer of Hebrews says, let us lay aside every weight and every sin. Now here's an example out of my life that's probably, it, it, it won't be applicable the same way in your life, but it's a good to hear. It was probably about 18 years ago. I used to be very much into watching hockey and watching football, and now these days I don't watch it at all. I prefer baseball. But in that time, I would like to, I'd spend a lot of time watching hockey, and that's great. There's nothing wrong with watching hockey, Right? There's things that, times for things that you can do, and then there's things that are a priority. And it was Stanley Cup playoffs. It wasn't the finals. I don't remember who Dallas was playing. They didn't make the finals that year, because I think it's been like 20 plus years since they've been to the finals. But I was watching that, and the Holy Spirit said to me, go and pray about this issue that was going on. And I was like, eh, the game's on. And that's, like I said, there's nothing wrong with watching games. But for me, my ministry and calling is to preach the gospel, and when he tells me to pray, I better be there praying. That's my priority. And so I was sitting there watching the game, and the Holy Spirit said to me, Dallas wins 3-2. And I was like, great, you just ruined this game for me, Holy Spirit. Why? It was not important. But what he called me to go pray about was very important. And I thank God for the miracle that came out of that time of prayer. But when we put things that are not the priority in the place of priority, we miss out on the things of blessing that God has called us to. And so what God has called you to may not look like what he's called me to, but get busy doing what's important when it's important and enjoy the things that aren't so important when you have time to do those things. Keep the main things the main things. 
Then we know in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Jesus said, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. When Jesus, he knows what you want, he knows what you have need of. In the context of Matthew 6, he says, you know, you don't have to worry about what you're going to eat and what you're going to wear. I know you have need of those things. And he says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And so by putting what God has called you to first doesn't mean you miss out on everything else. He said, put God first and all of those other things will fall right in line as you just pursue God. He knows what makes your heart glad. He does not delight in making you miserable. But we keep the important things, the main things, the main things. And what Jesus said to start this whole conversation in Matthew 6 was, no one can serve two masters. He will either hate one and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to one and despise the other one. You can't serve God and mammon. You can't serve God and the things of the world at the same time. Serve God first, and everything else falls in line and is added behind it. Amen? Here's what Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 27. We'll read it out of the Amplified Version today. He said, put first things first. Prepare your work outside and get it ready for yourself in the field, and afterwards build your house and establish a home. And there's so much in this verse that we could break down, but essentially what he's saying is when you come to the place where, where God has called you to, do what's most important first. And for the, the man in this story, he said, go ahead and do the outside work. What was he saying? Plant the fields. Sow in the land. Prep the fields, plant the seeds, get it ready, then build your house. Why? You do it the other way around, and you spend all the time building the house and making the home then. You get to the end of the season, and you starve because you didn't prepare what was necessary first. There's a time to plant, and there's a time to reap. And so there's a time for a season for everything in our life. Do what's important first things first. So Hebrews 12 said, let us lay aside every weight and every sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus who is the author and the finisher of our faith. It begins with him and it finishes with him and in between your job is to continue. Come on. I believe there's people in this place right now, people listening via the camera right now, there's things you started, but you've kind of been lingering in the middle. See them through to the end. You know, Song of Solomon chapter 215 says, catch us the foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vines. It's the little foxes, the little things, the really, the really unimportant things which spoil the whole vine. It says, for our vines have tender grapes. You know, you want to put this in its context? Song of Solomon, in chapter 2, Solomon is talking about his beloved and the love they have one for another. He says, catch us the foxes. It's the little foxes that spoil the vines. The vines are their love 
one for another. When it comes to our relationships with our spouses or even with our friends and our family, it's often the little things that cause us the most havoc. The little things that we allow that we don't really see important in that moment. No, don't let the enemy insert little things in your life to divide your relationships. Come on. I, I know talking about marriage isn't a, oh, fun, rah, rah, rah. No, it's the little things that will cause the biggest harm. This week I was listening to a divorce lawyer, and he had asked uh, one of his clients, a lady, he said, did you know the moment when you knew your marriage was done? And she said, yeah, actually I do. She said, through, all throughout our relationship, I, I had always been eating this, this special granola. And I was like, I was like, where is she going with this? It says this special granola. And whenever the bag would get like, you know, three quarters full, just he would go out and buy me another box of granola. And I never had to go get it for myself. And one day, the granola just stopped getting replaced. And I thought, oh, he doesn't love me anymore. No, go back to him and say, hey, you used to get me granola. What's going on? That's a little thing. That little wedge was driven between them to lead them to divorce. When as soon as you notice the issue, go have a conversation and communicate. Come on. Sometimes the things of God are just so simple. If you notice the little thing, don't put up with it. Go talk about it hey, you used to do this, and it really made me so happy when you used to do it. What, why, what happened with you? What happened with us? Work past it. Okay, that's my marriage advice for the day. <laughs> Granola. <laughs> Robin, if you're listening to this on the, uh, uh, on the podcast, I don't like granola. <laughs> Week number three. We said obstacles are not an indicator of being out of the will of God. Just as smooth sailing is not an indicator of being in it. Come on. Oftentimes we hit roadblocks and we think, oh, we have stupid sayings in Christianity like, oh, I guess when God closes a door, he'll open another window. Windows are not what we go through. We walk through open doors before us. And when the door feels shut, speak to it. Get rid of that stupid sovereignty teaching. Well, I guess God might have something better for me elsewhere. No, he wouldn't have said, for assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart but believes those things which he says will be done, he'll have whatever he says. He wouldn't tell you to move mountains if you weren't going to face mountains. So if you turn away from every mountain of resistance that stands before you, you will never learn to develop your faith and you will never stand in the promised land that God has called you to. It was convenient to stay in the wilderness for the children of Israel. It was convenient. You know why it was convenient? Manna fell from heaven. Quail crashed in the camp. Water flowed out of rocks. Bitter waters were turned into sweet waters. It was easy for them to stay in the wilderness. What did they have to do to go into the promised land? 
it started with them having to step into a very fast-moving river. God didn't split the river first. He asked them to step first. What did it take for them? It took for them having to march around a great walled city seven times, not with their swords, but with their trumpets and with their mouths. That took faith. It took battle after battle. It took battle after battle over and over for them to occupy the promised land. It was easy to stay in the wilderness and the enemy would have loved for them to stay there. It took faith to possess the promised land. So obstacles are not an indicator of you being out of the will of God. Actually, usually when obstacles show up, it's the enemy trying to get you to stop. And when you're going smooth sailing, and it's just like, oh yeah, it's so easy. That's because you're not a threat to him. Because you're probably not on the right path. You know, um, in James chapter 1, it's one of those shouting verses. It says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. <laughs> Ooh, God, thank you for that. Oh, yeah, I'm so happy about that one. He says, be happy when you're standing in the midst of a trial. And he said various trials. He didn't say trial. He said various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. The testing of your faith produces patience. Someone who is patient is a person that's willing to continue. And he said, but let patience or continuance have its perfect work that you may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. When the obstacle stands in your way, it's trying to keep you from being perfect, complete, lacking nothing. Speak to the mountain, command it to move, go ahead and possess the promised land that God has called you to. I want to end this morning with two Dabu Sweeney quotes. For those of you who don't know Dabu Sweeney, he is the head football coach of the Clemson Tigers. I think he's been doing it since like 2008. He's one of the most winningest college coaches that there's been. And uh, I love his philosophy. He's a good Christian guy. And uh, his philosophy with football is, first, I want to create strong, productive human beings. And then I, then I make them good football players. And I love that. We focus on the things that really aren't that important. And in the scheme of things, football's not important. He said that his highest goal as a coach is to create strong, competent human beings. Man, God cares that you're strong and competent rather, rather than the little things that really aren't a priority. And he said this in one of, his, one of his speeches to his players. He said, always remember the goals that we have achieved pale in comparison to the daily commitments it took to get there. The journey of continuance is more important than when you get there. There's been so many things that I've accomplished in my life, and the journey has always been more fruitful. Why? Because believing God and walking with God is the fulfilling part. He also said this, 
continue to do common things in an uncommon way. Continue to be all in and continue to apply best is the standard. Continue to be a person of excellence in everything you do. And so as we bring this series and we head to a close and head into the fall, keep in remembrance, God has called us and you to continue in what he's called us to. Amen? Pastor Robin, you're up. Well, praise God. Kimbram brato shita sima kumboro tototo. Chikamba, sesama makamba, mama kuliro lolo chi chiki, bisirama nyanchakasa, mama sori bakutu ti babo, borotondo boshashi, monsikia tania tototo. Though the way at times have seemed difficult, though the way at times it has been pressing upon you physically, emotionally, and taxing you in your, in your home situations, the goal, the thing that I have put within you, the source that I am within you, is what I want you to draw from. In times of trials and in times of, of pressure, stop and draw from the source that I am within you. For the source that I am within you will cause you to be energized. It will cause you to have wisdom. It will cause you to have joy. It will cause you to have overcoming power, to overcome the obstacles, to overcome the situations. And so do not be discouraged, pressed down, but allow my spirit to flow in a grace and in a provision that's very tangible and that's very real to you. Draw. Draw from me. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Well, when we were worshiping, a portion of scripture came up, and I was like, okay, whatever, that's great. And now as I walk back over there, he said, no, tell them. In Psalm chapter 1, verse 1, it says, Blessed, happy, fortunate, prosperous, and enviable is the man who walks in and lives not in the counsel of the ungodly, following their advice, their plans, and their purposes, nor stands in the path where sinners walks, nor sits down to relax, to relax and rest where the scornful and the mockers gather. It's really easy sometimes to hear what things like we're preaching about the goodness of God and be like, eh, that's just too good to be true. Or God wants you healthy and whole. Eh, well, that's not been my experience. That's sitting down in the seat of the scornful. That's sitting in the someone who scoffs and goes, it can't be that way. And here, the psalmist says, don't sit in that seat. Because blessed and fortunate and prosperous and enviable is the one who walks not in that council. And it says in verse 2, but your delight and desire should be in the law, in his precepts, his instructions, and his teachings. And habitually meditate, ponder, and study those things by day and by night. And this is what he says of those who do those things, who don't sit in the seat of the scornful, but do meditate on what God has said. 
It says, he shall be like a tree, firmly planted by the streams of water, ready to bring forth its fruit in its season. Its leaf shall not fade or wither, and everything he does shall prosper and come to maturity. Amen. Praise God. It's offering time. We uh, I want to look at Second um, Corinthians nine verse ten. It says, "Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown, and increase the fruits of your righteousness." <clears throat> uh, I've been encouraged to pray for the offering over the offering today. And so whether you've given online or be giving online, whether you've put uh, something in the basket at the back, the word that keeps coming to me as I, go, I, as I think about praying about this is multiply. Multiply, multiply, multiply. And so as the seed is multiplied, we just say now, offering be multiplied. Multiply. See, God, God's not a God of addition. God's a, a God of multiplication. Because that's exceedingly abundantly above. If we settle for just something, an add-on, it's not a God thing so much as his multiplication is where he just exceedingly abundantly above. Amen? 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 You know, when I was in school, um, I was in a one-room schoolhouse for the first several years of, of my life, and um, I, got, I got to sit in the, the same room as all my siblings all the way from grade one to grade eight. There was no, um, you know, uh, division in the in the room. You know, there was just maybe half a dozen in each class, and my siblings were there. And I was so excited in grade one to be able to learn the multiplication table because I thought it was the the highest level I'd ever attain. You know, and I could do it when I was six years old. And I would study that board that had all the multiplication things on it. And, and I listened to my, my siblings, older siblings, learning it, and I was learning at the same time they were. And I thought, this is great. This is the highest level. Well, that's a God level. Amen? It's a God level. Multiplication. So multiply. So, Father, even now, multiply the seed that has been sown. Multiply it, Father, to give you glory and honor. And so, Father, as we participate in kingdom things, we thank you for the kingdom promises that we receive, that supernatural increase in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Work care team, please.